0: As was mentioned, the Council of Elders meetings were held recently, and frankly, I was going to give a different sermon. I was uh, very inspired, I think, to work on a different one. I've got it all drafted. I think it will hopefully be an effective sermon when I do give it at some point, but the Council of Elders uh was extremely inspiring and i believe i hope that i was inspired to give a different sermon so uh this is something new it's some insight into something that is very very important to the ministry and so i'd like to ask a question as we begin the sermon this is a simple question what are some of the most important functions of the ministry And then I'd like to ask another question, which is how does that relate, or how does that question relate to those of us who are not ordained? How does it relate to the flock, uh, to each of you? This sermon will address a theme. Uh, It's a theme that is a responsibility. Uh, It's an obligation. It's a blessed obligation uh, incumbent on God's ministry. It's a blessing to do. It's something we want to do well. It's something we want to do better. It's something we appreciate your prayers about. It's something that a minister of Jesus Christ holds as extremely important. Again, it's a blessing and a responsibility. Now, all of us also have our role in what I'm going to talk about today. So this will be about some of the responsibilities and obligations of the ministry, but as you'll see, uh, you're very involved, very involved, and not only very involved, but part of part of it. You're part of this work, and in a very real way, it's largely about you, about you, God's saints, God's chosen chosen and special people. It's really about you. The title of the sermon is "The Unity of the Spirit in the Bond of Peace." The Unity of the Spirit in the Bond of Peace. And this was on my mind before the council. I have a half-drafted or had a half-drafted sermon uh, with this title. And this one is different, going a little bit of a direction, different direction. But uh, this really came out from not necessarily a particular doctrine we talked about during the council meetings, but the theme and what Christ was doing uh, in the council meetings. The unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Let's begin with the first point, which is a very simple point, but I'd like to begin there, which is that you are very special to God. You are very special to God. Let's turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. There are really a variety of scriptures that make this point. But let's just notice in Deuteronomy chapter 7 how God describes His people, those whom he has chosen, and he has chosen you. He has chosen uh, me and those around the world who might hear this sermon later. God has chosen us. The Father calls us. God chooses us. And we're very special to him. You're special to him. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people. Now, this referred to ancient Israel, this is obviously in the book of the law, uh, God's statutes and law and instructions uh, to ancient Israel. But, of course, brethren, this applies to you, and we know there's New Testament scriptures that make that point. Uh, You are a special people. You are a special people. You're set apart. You are chosen. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself. He chose you to be a people for him. He didn't choose you to be a people for someone else, or he didn't choose you and then say, well, you're not that important to me. See, we're not throwaway toys. You know, sometimes children uh, are spoiled and they have toys that they don't appreciate. My girls were pretty good about their toys, but you understand uh, what I'm saying. You might have some cheap toy and it gets abused and thrown away and discarded. That's not you. That's not you. You are a special people, a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. Verse 7, the eternal did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. Now, what's the New Testament analogy to this? Well, of course, it's that, you know, God doesn't call the the great. He calls the weak of the world. It's interesting. God's mind is is consistent, it, it doesn't change. So us today, we today, we're not the, the best and the brightest and the, the most famous and the richest of the world. Uh, you have some talents, there are some very talented members in the congregation, but uh, generally speaking, uh, we're not the Fortune uh, 500 CEOs or the, the leaders of the world's nations. But you're special and you're above all the peoples on the face of the earth in God's eyes in his estimation. And he did not set his love on you because you were great or because I was great, verse 7. Now, speaking of ancient Israel specifically, there was a reason, of course, as you know. uh, He says they were the least of of all the peoples, and verse 8 gives uh, 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 hints at the reason, uh, basically the commandment, the covenant, sorry, that God made with with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, Verse 8, but because the eternal loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Of course, that reminds us of what we study during the Passover, when we remember that we've been called out of spiritual bondage, spiritual slavery. The point here is that when God calls you and sets you apart, you are a special treasure to him. You're not a throwaway toy, you're important to him. We see that in the New Testament, of course, 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm sure that most of you thought, okay, well, he's going to now go to 1 Peter chapter 2. That's good. You should be students of the Bible. And we would go to 1 Peter chapter 2 to see the parallel to Deuteronomy chapter 7. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. You are a chosen generation. Now, today, God's not working only with physical Israel, the descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob. <clears throat> He's working with people of all races, all nationalities. And so today, brethren, if you have been called by God, then you are a chosen generation. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Let's continue. A royal priesthood, royalty, royalty, special, royalty, not common, not unimportant, but royal. How do the royalty behave? How should they behave? We think of Queen Elizabeth, and she's been such a wonderful example. And uh, she sets that bar, that standard. We should behave with class and dignity. We should behave lawfully because we're special. Verse nine. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him. We have an obligation, brethren, to proclaim his praises. You know, one thing that as a minister, um, that will catch my attention and I'll gently correct, uh, is any hint or, or intimation That God's law or God's way is hard or a burden, that it's a burden, that it's an evil, that it it causes harm. It doesn't cause harm. Uh, The law, the holy days, walking God's way of life, is a blessing. And we are to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of sin, out of darkness, into his marvelous light. That is, the light is Jesus Christ. The light is the law. The light is Christ living in us. And we've been called into that relationship with Christ, and that's something we should praise and be thankful for. And we, you do, you do. So the first point, briefly, brethren, is that you're special people. You're special to God, and so we need to remember that every day. It doesn't matter how small the congregation is or where it is on the planet. Uh, the people there that God has called are a treasure, they're special, they're royalty. Second point, we'll spend more time on the second point, and this is really the inspiration uh, came from the council meeting. Some of the comments here uh, inspired the second point. The ministry. The ministry's role, some of what they're responsible for, they're responsible for things additional to this. But the ministry spiritually nurture. Let me give you four four things they do. They spiritually nurture, protect, love, and unify. Nurture, protect, love, and unify. The ministry spiritually nurture, protect, love, and unify. Let's turn back to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. What are some of the most important functions of the ministry? And how do those functions relate to you? I think you know the answer. And again, the ministry have other responsibilities. We uh, have a variety of responsibilities. Some of them are administrative and and other responsibilities. But they're um, very much involved, brethren, in helping what's described in Psalm 133, verse 1. Uh, to become a reality. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. My understanding is that that was one of Mrs. Armstrong's uh, favorite scriptures. How good and how pleasant for brethren to dwell together in unity. We read this. We know it. It's a very familiar verse. I won't spend too much time on it, but we should dwell together in unity, and that's good and pleasant to God, and it should be good and pleasant to us. Where there is strife, uh, that's not God's mind. Where there is angst or, you know, uh, feelings that are hurt and forgiveness that's not granted, that's not God's house. That's not representative of God's house. Uh, that's not God's mind. There is a house, a spiritual organism, a spiritual uh, church, as you know, and that church should exhibit what's shown in Psalm 133, verse 1, pleasantness, dwelling together in unity. Now, how did the ministry help make this come to pass? Let's turn to Titus chapter 2, and this might be interesting uh, for some of you. uh, When we consider ordaining someone, there are a number of passages, as you're aware, that we will look at. Uh, and uh, the ministry will counsel and talk to headquarters talk to the regional pastors and and we'll 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 look at these passages But brethren, I, I want to say it again that and you'll see as we go through the sermon that uh, Although some of what i'm going to discuss now applies to qualifications for the ministry and the ministry's functions It's about the brethren and these are also qualities that all of us as saints should develop There's not a quality here that we're going to go through now. There's some responsibilities the ministry have, right? Uh, if you are ordained, God has to make decide that uh, you can't appoint yourself. Uh, some have done that, um, but there are some responsibilities and some authority that the ministry have. But but these good qualities, we should all develop these good qualities, whether we're ordained or not. Titus chapter two. And I'd like to bring out an emphasis here. That maybe you haven't thought of, uh, in this way. So, Paul is instructing Titus to, uh, speak things which are proper for sound doctrine. We're going to come back to doctrine later in the sermon. And then there are these qualifications, uh, but really again, it would apply to anyone, that the older men be sober, be sober, uh, reverent, temperate. As we men get older, as we you know, grow grow older. Uh, we're not to become, uh, you know, irritable and, you know, those, those stereotypes, that sometimes the grumpy old men uh, stereotypes. Uh, we're to become more and more um, sober, more and more reverent. It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting that the older men should be dignified, temperate, sound in faith. Interesting, sound in faith. How do you get sound in faith? Lots of prayer, lots of Bible study, lots of fasting, lots of taking notes. Lots of submitting to God's will and God's decisions in your life. A quality of the older men should be to be sound in faith. In love. In love. In patience. I was... Uh, extremely thankful to be able to work uh, under Doctor Meredith for for a while, and Mister Weston's very much the same in this way. Very patient, very patient, uh, patient with me, patient. With, we're patient with each other, and uh, you know I can't uh, tell you how many times I remember seeing Doctor Meredith grin and cock his head to the side, and you know he knew where the conversation was going, or where your thoughts were, or what the the doctrinal answer was, but you know he would give you a few minutes to talk it through, and and he was patient. And we see that not just with the ministry, but we see that with with many of the brethren. Uh, we see this calmness, this patience, this reverence, this love, not to be quick or quick to judge or quick to condemn or quick to interrupt or or uninterested, but engaged and available. The older women, also that they be reverent in behavior. And not slanderers. Now, of course, the men shouldn't be slanderers either. <clears throat> but uh, the women should not be slanderers. We don't want people talking uh, evil about each other. We can't have a situation where the brethren are dwelling together in unity, like it says in Psalm 133, if we're talking evil about each other. And I'm not saying we do, but uh, this is, these are qualities of a sound church, brethren. Not slanderers, not given to much wine. Uh, teachers of good things, interesting teachers of good things, the older women are to be teachers of good things. now we know that primarily that 's going to be with those in their home, their children their grandchildren, but also the older women can help the younger women and uh, if you know and i 'm not going to put an age on that either because there are some older women who've been in the church a long time, and uh, they 're not really old old you know older they're they're middle age so Use your discernment there. Uh, But if you've been around, you're a little older, uh, you've got children, you've been through some life experiences, you might bring very valuable help to some of the younger women and, of course, to your own families. Qualities of a sound church. Remember the title, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Don't we want the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace? We do. And so these are qualities that we can develop to help make that happen. Teachers of good things, <clears throat> that they admonished the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. Not very politically correct. Uh, they, I won't mention the name or anything, but there were some uh, political commercials, and I saw one, and um, a certain politician made a couple statements, and they were kind of made in a Protestant way that we wouldn't really make them, and um, but uh, he was really raked over the coals. Um, and I don't know this individual, and I don't know if his politics are, you know, I don't know anything about him, but uh, he was derided for his statement. And uh, it really sounded pretty bad the way they, they edited the, the statements. But w- what he was saying in a kind of a Protestant way that we wouldn't say with language we wouldn't quite say was basically what we read here in verse 4, uh, that they're to love their husbands and... Um, love their children, to be discreet, verse 5. That doesn't mean you have to be a wallflower, ladies. It means you just know when to not divulge something you shouldn't divulge. You know when to smile and um, maybe turn the conversation in a different direction. Chaste, of course. A homemaker's good. Uh, God inserts good there. You know, we know that none are good but God, but yet we're called and told we need to be good. So we can strive for that, can't we? It's right there in Titus chapter 2, verse 5, that we are, the women, are to at least attempt to be good. Obedient to their own husbands that the word of God may not be blasphemed. These are some qualities that if the ladies exhibit, we have a, a church that's unified in the faith and has a bond of peace. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Sometimes younger men can go off in different directions, right? They need a little more sober-mindedness, some counsel from their their elders. Uh, In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. Now, this is primarily about uh, the elders and about Titus here and qualifications. But all of us should be uh, eager to produce fruit and to uh, exhibit good works, In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, brethren. There is a lot of junk on the internet today, and I might come back later and and touch on it. uh, That we don't need to be spending our time uh, binge watching or binge listening to, and it's just idiocy. It's just silliness. You know, people that are rejecting fundamental just fundamental science and fundamental truths and conspiracy theories and. Things we don't need to be spending time with. Continuing, uh, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is uh, an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say to you. Especially for those who are the elders that they can correct if there's um, unsound doctrine, false doctrine. Uh, Verses 9, I'll speed up a little bit. Verses 9 and 10. Uh, exhort servants to be obedient to their masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not pilfering, not stealing, and so forth. And I won't continue through uh, verses 11 and 12, but I want to come down to verse uh, 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing. So brethren, what God has inspired Paul to do is give us a little snapshot of some of the qualities uh, of those in the church that God would uh, consider to be doing well. And those qualities then... Um, make the church sound and let us look forward to a hope a hope which is the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ a sound church And if we are of sound mind, then we have more of a hope for that uh, second coming And that we will be on the right side of the judgment Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed Sort of referencing back to first Peter referencing back to Deuteronomy that we've been redeemed by Christ, by His blood, by God, and again to be His special people. Verse fourteen. Special. Now we sometimes make a little joke about special, and it can mean peculiar, but really that's not really the best uh, translation. That's that's it, it. It can mean peculiar, but. It uh, it really is a, a much more profound word, and I'll give you a little more of that definition in a moment, zealous for good works, zealous for good works. Are you zealous for good works? Peculiar here is a Greek word, periosios, and it really means extraordinary or beyond the usual, beyond the usual. Again, we know we're the weak of the world, but in God's... Mind, brethren, you're beyond the usual. You're, you're not just the regular model car. You're the upgrade. You're the shiny car. You know, you're not the, the throwaway toy. You're extraordinary to God. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And I might try to pick up the speed a little bit now. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Here it might have a chapter heading of "Walk in Unity." <clears throat> We're going to begin in in verse two, Ephesians four, verse two. With all low, lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Paul is going to give some instructions. This is Paul's first uh, uh, during. This was written during Paul's first Roman imprisonment, and he was thinking about. Uh, the pastoral needs of the of the churches probably written around sixty two a d um, and so he's giving us some pastoral counsel or advice, and he's telling the, 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 the church and also the ministry later that there needs to be a spirit of lowliness and, and gentleness with long suffering bearing with one another in love. Do we do that? Do you do that? Do you take time for each other? Time to sign the cards and like Mr. Weston mentioned. Make a little extra note on the card. That's very nice, isn't it? We, we we heard about an individual who received a card and was very thankful for that and make a little note on it. But there's other things. You know, there might be a widow who needs uh, some gra- their grass mowed, and they're not going to think to call you every month, but does the grass grow every month in the spring and summer? So good, you went out there and mowed it once last year. That's great. So we have to be proactive. And the ministry and the deacons, they, they keep an eye on things. It's not create chaos, you know, uh, but, um, you know, pick up the phone. Call each other. If somebody doesn't show up to church. Pick up the phone. Call them. Not to come down on them, but love you, miss you. Were, were you out of town? What's, what's, uh, what's going on? Bearing with one another in love. <clears throat> Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So there I am plagiarizing Paul. That's the title. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. God is not divided. Now there are some, I'll not get off my notes too much. Uh, We know there are different um, corporate, corporate organizations today. And. We pray for our brethren who keep God's law and so forth. Uh, we know in Revelation that God says, you know, there's a church that's still around at the end, and they have the testimony of Christ, and they keep the commandments, and Satan's going to eat them up. So it doesn't necessarily mean you're Philadelphian if you're in a particular corporate body, but I would look hard at that, and I would look hard at myself. So we all understand that the church is a spiritual organization, but God's not the author of confusion. Uh, God does not accept people who appoint themselves to titles that they were not given. God does not accept those who change core fundamental doctrines. And God does not accept those who are lackadaisical and apathetic and don't try to repent of their own problems and their own sins. You see, it's easy for me to and for any of us to look outward and, well, we're here, maybe we're doing what's, what God wants, but you need to quickly bring it into yourself and we need to quickly look in the mirror because we can be here. Uh, doesn't necessarily guarantee that we're zealous Philadelphians. don't want to get off my notes too much, but there's one body, one spirit. Not a division of doctrine, brethren. We don't teach different things. We don't teach different things. There's a statement of fundamental beliefs. I've proven it. You should prove it. We're on the same page, and you are on the same page with us. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all, and in you all, very powerful and somewhat poetic, but if Christ lives in you, then in a way, because Christ and the Father are of the same mind and heart, then you have an aspect of God, the Father, uh, living in you because Christ lives in you. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Uh, speaking of us being called out of the world, we've received grace. Speaking of us uh, being forgiven for our sins. And if we have truly repented and uh, you know, asked for repentance and asked for forgiveness and because of Christ's blood our, the, the penalty can be paid. Uh, let's just skip down uh, verse 9, discussing that Christ ascended uh, to heaven after, to God's throne after uh, the, the crucifixion. And, of course, he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He was buried in a tomb. He was buried in a tomb. And then he rose and and uh, <clears throat> after a time ascended. He ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things or be qualified or inherit or have the qualification or receive all things. And then we have the ranks. And I'll speed through these. They gave a son to be apostles and prophets. You, you know these. But what is the purpose for the equipping of the saints, brethren, to build that house that is a house of unity and spirit, that is that is bound in peace? How joyful, how thankful, how wonderful that we have peace and familial love with one another. How many times have we talked to each other and you said, I flew here for the Feast of Tabernacles around the world, and I met people from around the world, and I loved them, and they loved me, and we had this common framework, and and the Holy Spirit was between us and among us, and and it was familial. We got along, right? North or south, there's no north or south in God's church. And I'm from Texas, and we we aren't interested in the north and south situation, because we're our own country from Texas, right? Right? It doesn't it it should not exist in God's church should not exist division Also the ministry are responsible for verse 12 um, Building this unity of the faith and knowledge that we have to teach uh, Knowledge of the son of god to a perfect man So each of us can become uh, more perfect and and grow to the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ He's our model Brethren, how wonderful that one of the obligations of Mr. Ames or Dr. Ronell or Mr. Weston or Mr. Rohavich or, you know, I won't name them all, but, you know, Mr. Greer and so forth, one of their responsibilities is to work hard so that you and I become perfected and become more like Jesus Christ. That is, that is wonderful. Servants, servants, so that we can inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro. I'll speed it up. But uh, here Paul talks about um, false doctrine and trickery of men, cunning craftiness. One of the responsibilities of the, of the ministry is to know our doctrines, be consistent, teach them, and defend them. And uh, we'll be patient and we'll talk to people. But we're not, um, we're not going to let blasphemy or heresy just run around in the church. It's not going to happen. But when we deal with that, we deal with it, verse 15, in love, the truth in love, the truth in patience, the truth in hope, that we can bring people to understanding and we can help counsel with them so that they can be considered, you know, right in God's God's sight. Verse 16, that the whole body will be joined and knit together. And then we have the different functions here. I'm going to uh, move on at this point from Ephesians. But you notice, brethren, that it's for the edifying and for the body to come together. I'll ask you a question right now. Ephesians 4.11 mentions ranks of the ministry, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and elders. Who was the most faithful of these ministers? Who was the most faithful minister in doctrine, the greatest example of service and shepherding, the bond of peace? Who? We'll answer that question Later. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5. But if you can think of who it was, you can write it down in your notes. Who was the apostle or maybe the elder or the evangelist who was the, the most perfect example? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. I'll be very quick here. <clears throat> 1 Peter 5, 1. Responsibilities again of the sh- of the shepherds again brethren this is not a sermon uh, Because we're getting ready to ordain someone or we're considering ordaining someone Or just because I want you to have an academic review of the qualifications for the elders This is a sermon that in part the first half it, it, Well both p- parts of it is to help understand and help us to really appreciate and and get it What what god's doing the work that god's doing we have to preach the gospels witness to the world But he also wants disciples he also wants a, a holy virgin wife, and that is what the Council of Elders struggles with and talks about and prays about and thinks about, and underneath of every conversation at the council and every prayer that every minister of God makes, if they're a true minister of God, that's part of what's in their mind. My eye caught Mr. Nathan, and you know he's over uh, serving in Europe now, and uh, we love him, and he's there to help make this happen in Europe and also most half of Africa or all of it or whatever, so has a big job. <clears throat> Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. There is some authority. Uh, some people uh, want to think there's not. There is. There are ranks in the ministry, and there's some authority with the ministry. Um, not by constraint. Uh, you God desires ministers who desire to serve, not who have to be compelled, not who have to have you know. Uh, Dr. Runell called them in the morning and say, it's, it's 7 o'clock. Have you got up and said your prayer? And are you, are you going out and taking care of your, your, your people today? Okay, thank you. And I'm going to call the next person. That's, <laughs> we, we want to get up and go take care of our, of our responsibilities. <clears throat> shepherd the flock, uh, not by constraint, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted in you, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade. Uh, the chief shepherd is looking at how well the ministry are shepherding. I won't turn there for sake of time, but you could uh, jot down 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, which shows roles in the body and how the body should love each other. And, you know, let, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 quickly, because I actually want to make a quick technical point. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, just sort of a related doctrinal technical point. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, wonderful chapter, uh, verses 1, 2, 3, diverse, diversities in, in, in gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 4, diversities in ministry, but the same Lord. So no, God's ministers don't teach different doctrines. God's ministers don't teach different holy days, uh, etc. Uh, <clears throat> some have different discern, discernment. Verses 9 and 10. Uh, I was, um, I, I've known a couple of ministers who could discern. Uh, Evil spirits and they could discern when there wasn't an evil spirit and they could tell and they just had that discernment And i've i've known others who it seemed like god gave more of a gift of healing Uh, Verse 14, but there's the fact is there's one body And there's many members of the body and we should work together coming down to verse uh, 28 29 This is the point I wanted to to make Uh, Verse 27 you are all the body of christ and members individually here. We sort of have the ephesians 4 Positions gone over again interestingly, isn't it Uh, you have apostles Uh, so God has appointed these in the church first apostles That's the highest rank that he's appointed in the church. just like you saw in Ephesians 4 the listing here is uh, uh, Translated slightly differently, but then you have prophets which is the same and then then teachers which can include evangelists and pastors and elders and then after that you have miracles after that, you have the gifts of healings. After that, you have the a variety of tongues. Interesting. I just This caught my attention sometimes. You know, the miracles that God's looking for are sitting right there in those chairs. Those are the big miracles. You think it's hard for God to let us work miracles, you know, make a tree disappear or a mountain move? That's easy. That's easy. That's why in verse 28... The apostles and the evangelists and the pastors, God says their first, their order of importance or priority is, in God's mind, more important than making a mountain move. Because you're the miracle. You're the special people. You're why God has the ranks of the ministry. You're what the council of elders largely thinks about and talks about. How we can have a spiritual bride worthy of marrying Christ at his return. <clears throat> let's move on. I'll just mention very quickly that it requires humility, whether you're a minister or you're not. God wants us to be humble. Let's turn quickly to Proverbs twenty-nine twenty-three. Proverbs twenty-nine twenty-three. To have unity and, and peace with one another, uh, humility is, is so key. That came out in the uh, sermonette. Proverbs 29 and verse 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. And I'd like you to extend that. I'd like you to, um, abstract that as levels of, of, of abstraction, um, if you individually are humble in spirit, God says you will have honor. If you, I'm not pointing anybody in particular, if you and 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 you over there are humble in spirit, God says you will retain honor. What if more of you are humble in spirit? What if even more of you, what if all of us are humble in spirit? Then the body, the church will retain honor. Simple, you understand. God wants his church to be humble, zealous, but humble. Humility is a vital key, brethren. Let's turn to Matthew 25. And we see Jesus Christ give this parable of the the goats. At his return, he'll separate the sheep from the goats. Matthew chapter 25. And you'll see where humility is um, something that he wants to uh, emphasize here. Matthew 25, verse 31. How can the church have uh, love and faith and so forth and be unified in faith? Well, humility is very vital. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of glory and the, all the nations will be gathered before him. And we know the account. He'll separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right hand, to the sheep, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom of God. We want this to be us. We want this to be us. And then to the, sorry, then he says, you know, to you, I saw you, I I was hungry and you, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me, and so forth. I was in prison, you came to me. They served, they were humble, they rolled up their sleeves, they worked. Now, yes, please take a, you know, an hour on a Sunday afternoon and just, just, You know, sit in your chair and just enjoy the sunshine and, you know, we, we, we shouldn't harm our own body and kill ourselves by pushing ourselves too, too much. But did you also think of the widow down the road in the church or the widow down the road not in the church? Or maybe not the widow, just the family that needs a little help. Or you could just give them a call and just ask how they're doing. Did we serve? Christ says, they asked, you know, when, and he said, "I was uh, naked, you clothed me; I was sick, you visited me." The righteous said, "Well, when was this?" And he said, "When you did this, verse thirty-eight, to the stranger, and 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 so forth." Uh, or, sorry, th- they asked, "When did when did we?" They asked, "When did we see you, a stranger, and take you in?" And then um, the king answers and says, in verse forty, "Assuredly, I say to you, as much as you did to the least of these my brethren, you did it to me as well." It reminds me of Galatians six ten. Uh, we are to do good to all, especially the household of faith. That's actually the out, one of the outreach motto scriptures. Now, you have this other group, which are the goats, which are the goats. Those on the left hand, depart from me. You're cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry and so forth, and you did not have the humility to serve. Mr Weston wrote about this in the booklet the John 316 booklets on the website Luke uh, John uh, John 316 uh, booklet on lcg.org from page 30 he writes about the sheep and the goats he's mentioned this in sermons before and i've always enjoyed it um how the practice of how the sheep are practicing true love and service toward others here's here's what he said people who truly and sincerely sincerely care for the well-being of others do not serve to be seen Matthew 6 verse 1 through 4 since their charitable, charitable deeds are done out of genuine concern for others, it is not surprising that they do not keep score or think highly of themselves for their service. They just do it. They're just humble and they do it. Christ lives in such individuals. Galatians 2:20, and Christ's way of life becomes theirs. He says. A couple of paragraphs down, Mr. Weston says about the um, the goats. On the other hand, this parable describes goats as takers, people who are who care little. Or nothing for the well-being of those around them. Such people do not put themselves out to serve others, and their ultimate reward is to be thrown into the fire and burned up. Matthew three twelve, and so forth. You know, we can be a taker in many ways. To be a taker doesn't mean you steal. Doesn't only mean you go steal something. We can just not give. We can just not give of our time, not give of our of our kindness. We can be a taker by being just a little bit too standoffish. I, I know that not everybody's super gregarious. Uh, I know that some people are more outgoing than others. I know that some people are a little more shy. Some people want to take the lead. Some people want to be behind. I understand that. But let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Because I sometimes hear about personality types, and they're, they're helpful. They're helpful. What personality type is Jesus Christ? Now, we all have our own personality types. We all have our strengths. But What personality type is Jesus Christ? So we have our strengths, but if there's a need to serve and you can serve, try to serve. If there's a need to forgive or a need to love, forgive or love. Jesus Christ, we won't turn to it in Philippians 2.7. We know the creator of the whole universe humbled himself and became a servant. So the ministry are servants, and each of you are servants. We are to serve one another. Jesus' desire was to nurture, protect, love, unify, just like the ministry's desire. Next point, point number three. We must all remember the importance of sound doctrine. The importance of sound doctrine, so, so critical. Romans chapter 6, verse 17, uh, let's not turn to it, but... Paul commended the the Christian church in Rome for being steadfast in sound doctrine. Romans 6, 17. He commended them for for holding on to the truth. Let's turn to Jude chapter, or Jude uh, verse 3. Jude verse 3. Familiar scripture regarding uh, wrestling and contending and holding on to sound doctrine, especially at the end of the age. Jude, uh, Verse 3, the ministry care about this uh, because we care about your eternal life. Uh, The Council of Elders cares about this because we we want the church to move forward uh, along lines of sound doctrine. So we please God. Jude, verse 3, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, we're, we're all in it together, brethren. I'll pause real quick. Old, young, black, white, Australian, Canadian, ordained or not, we're in it together. We're in it together. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered for all the saints. To contend earnestly. Now, we're not going to invent new crazy doctrines that contradict uh, clear scripture, we not going to do that. We are to contend to fight, to wrestle, to resist those who creep in, verse 4, unnoticed. And then they start sowing discord. But they were marked out from long before for this condemnation, verse 4. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Lord God and our uh, Lord Jesus Christ. We are to contend. Uh, For the faith once delivered, but I want to remind you verse five though You once knew this that the lord having saved the people out of the land of egypt Afterward destroyed those who did not believe what did they do? They murmured they went back to idolatry, but what did they do? They didn't contend for the faith once delivered Right, they got apathetic. They got distracted. They didn't contend. They went back and he destroyed them the angels who did not keep their proper domain and you think about that, and it'll be interesting to get the rest of that story, but how was it that over, we don't know how long it was, but that Satan or Lucifer initially, and that Satan was able to mislead uh, so many angels that, that had been around God's throne and been in God's government for so long, and they did not hold fast to, you know, to what they should have known was true. We are to contend for fault to uh, uh, faithful to doctrine. 1 Timothy chapter 4 reminds us of the same. 1 Timothy, let's turn there, chapter 4. Paul warned about false doctrine at the end of the age. And what does he urge uh, Timothy to do? Brethren, we are approaching um, perilous times. And I think that this admonition here, uh, Dr. Winnell will often mention this in his CAD Comments is probably more important now than it was ten years ago, or fifty years ago. As we get closer to the end of the age, First Timothy four, verse one. This is a responsibility of you, brethren, not just the ministry, but of you. First Timothy four, verse one. Uh, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And there's different uh, doctrines of demons. uh, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience here with a, law, with a, raw, uh, with a hot iron. And then there's some doctrines of demons um, mentioned here for getting to marry. You know, uh, there's a huge, huge church uh, that's forbidden to marry for uh, more than a couple millennia, actually, because they go back before uh, the time of Christ. Um, doctrine of demons. Uh, abstaining from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. God created some foods to be received with thanksgiving. Now, if you have a, an intolerance, and I know some people do because we've messed up, you know, agriculture so badly, then you, you don't have to uh, to eat. Uh, I know that, you know, there's some, I won't mention uh, the types. There's some intolerances, and fine. But um, there are clean foods, clean meats, and God has uh, made those for thanksgiving to re- be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good. Every creature that God has made good to be received with thanksgiving. Read the prior verse. This does not say that, you know, snails are to be eaten. Uh, It's the creatures that God made to be received with thanksgiving. The clean animals, the clean meats, uh, is uh, is not to be refused. There was, uh, frankly, uh, a doctrine of uh, of vegetarianism that that, uh, Paul and Timothy were dealing with back at that time. The key though is brethren, striving to maintain our faith and faithfulness in doctrine let's turn over a, a chapter to um, second or sorry a book to second Timothy three, second Timothy three, and verse uh, one so we were in first and now let's go to second Timothy three verse one again in the last days perilous times will come and we have different uh, heresies or false doctrines or wrong attitudes here We need to be on the lookout for these in our lives right? I do as well You know, are we are we falling victim just a little bit to being lovers of ourselves a servant gives of himself They 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 want to take care of their health. They want to do their Bible study. but they give of themselves they don't uh, They're not selfish uh, we don't want to become lovers of money, where we're, you know, compromising in any way, uh, God's law or, or time with family or so forth, um, <clears throat> to go pursue money. Uh, people have done that. You know, people have left the church um, over the years and they've gotten real, real wealthy. it's. it's I'm sad for them. I'm, I'm sad for them. It's it doesn't. It, it doesn't make me happy for them. I'm sad because they, they've left the, the church, and um, they pursued money. Shouldn't be boasters, proud, blasphemies and blasphemers, and so forth. <clears throat> you can read this yourself. Uh, in the last days, perilous times will come. People will become more and more like this. Brethren, we see this in the world, on the news, in society, uh, more and more. It's both sides of the sp- political spectrum. Uh, and we see just a polarization in society. Uh, we see people being unwilling to forgive each other, to work together for common good. Uh, we see some who have a form of godliness, but then you read about these people that have multiple mistresses and horrible things and pedophilia. Be very, very sober minded as the years go by, brethren. The saints are in this room. The peculiar special people are in this room. Your best friend should be in the church of God. We have to associate with people in the world and there are some very wonderful people in the world, and you've heard us mention. And it's true that there are neighbors and relatives that, if God would open their mind, they would put me to shame. I had a Methodist aunt who died recently, and lived to be ninety-one or two, and um, uh, just wonderful. And if God had opened her mind, uh, you know what she had done in her life was was uh, you know just just served and wonderful. So I'm not saying that uh, there can't be. People in the world that you talk to or have a friendship with, but be careful. There's some who have a form of godliness. They deny its power. There's some who, in verse 2 or 3 or 4, they're headstrong, they're haughty, uh, they're unforgiving, they're proud. Turn away from those people, brethren. Remain pure, pure virgins before God. A peculiar people, a special people, not a throwaway toy. What is a big thing the council talks about? Doctrines and doctrines and prophecy and doctrines and administrative things and other doctrines. But what is underneath of all of that? One of the themes, one of the foundations is you're special people. We love you. We fear God in all the ministry. We fear God and we want the bride to be presentable to God at Christ's return. I won't turn to it. You know Second Timothy four verse one, itching ears at the end of the age. I asked earlier in Ephesians 4, verse 11, it gives the ranks of the ministry, apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastors and elders, who was the minister who was the greatest example of being faithful to doctrine and the greatest example of service and of shepherding the bond of peace. You know, this became clear to me uh, back in 1986 when Mr. Armstrong died. And we did not have uh, an apostle, humanly speaking, anymore. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And so this became clear to a lot of people back then in 1986 and 1987. Uh, Some people didn't learn the lesson back then, and they decided they would become an apostle, which is not how it works. Hebrews chapter 2. If God reveals one in the future, then that would be wonderful. Dr. Meredith often said or occasionally said that, you know, if if God wants to, He'll, re- he'll reveal one. <clears throat> Hebrews 2, but we have an apostle right now, don't we? I, I follow, and you follow, and Mr. Weston follows. Hebrews 2, verse 16. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. You are spiritually Abraham's seed, if God has called you. Whatever nation, doesn't matter. You're spiritually Israel. Verse 17, he gives you aid. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, speaking of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Messiah, our high priest, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. He became the perfect high priest. He is the perfect high priest. He understands what you go through. In things pertaining to God, to make propitiation, he intercedes, he intervenes for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. You know, Jesus Christ is the best minister. The best minister. He's our model. Verse three, verse, uh, one of chapter three. Therefore, holy brethren, speaking of you and, and me, speaking of all of us, you're holy to God. Partakers of the heavenly calling. I mean, how special. You know, you can join the Boy Scouts or you can join the, uh, you know, the local, uh, Circle K gas station discount fuel program, and that's good. It saves you 10 cents on your fuel or whatever. But you joined something better, and you didn't join it. God called you. But look what we're part of. A heavenly calling. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. He's your living apostle. He's the living apostle and high priest. Over the church, who was faithful to him who appointed him. Jesus Christ understood submission, service, obedience. I should understand that. You should understand that. He was faithful to him who appointed him. Are you faithful? Do you understand obedience? Will you take correction if needed? Why is there correction in the church? You get on the Internet, and there's such garbage. Yeah, right. There's correction because, you know, we want to make you sad. No. <laughs> there's correction because we, will, we love you. God corrects because he loves me or you. He wants us in the kingdom. He doesn't want division or heresy. He doesn't want practicing sin uh, that is not being repented of and that uh, leavens the whole lump. He wants a pure bride. Verse 2, who was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Obviously, Jesus Christ, our high priest, the chief apostle, obviously has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, David, Daniel, Abraham, Sarah, all of them together, times 20, times 20 again. He was the son of God. And he's been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, and as much as he who built the house has more honor than than the house. And he is building a house. You're part of that house. Every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. He's building a house that you are part of. The church of God is the house of God, the congregation of God. We want it to be a house that is unified in the spirit and in the bond of peace. That's a happy house. That's what God wants. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And if you think about it, that's what the kingdom will be, and uh, when we inherit all things in the kingdom, and uh, we'll be a happy house. We'll rule under God, under Christ, and during the millennium, there will be people on the earth and. You know, we'll, we'll teach them, and then beyond that, you know, the kingdom will go on forever and ever, and we'll be a happy house. It's pretty awesome. You know, back in um, verse 1 of chapter 3, I don't want to get off into a lot of Greek again, but consider him is a word you can look up. Anybody can use a lexicon, but it means to be extremely attentive, to have your eyes fixed, to be extremely attentive. We should be extremely attentive, Hebrews 3, verse 1, of the example of Jesus Christ. The ministry should be extremely attentive uh, to his example. The members should be extremely attentive. He's, He's our example. How did he live? What would Jesus really do? You know, he would keep the Sabbath holy. He would forgive somebody who offended him and so forth. To be extremely attentive to him. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 11 as we begin to approach the end of the sermon here, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we have Paul uh, talking about uh, imitating Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Paul says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ, and that's a great scripture that helps us to uh, understand how we should live and what we sh- how we should behave. Did Christ keep the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, then we should imitate him um, because Paul said imitate him. But notice verse 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions as I delivered them to you. So the fourth point in the sermon today was that we must consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. The fourth point was we must consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. If we're going to have a unity of the spirit and a bond of peace, then that's the fourth key, which is to understand uh, how Christ lived and what he would do and how he thought and to imitate him. So, brethren, for the ministry in particular, we remember God's instruction through the apostle Paul to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, Ephesians 4, verse 3. And I'm not done yet, but that's one of the most important works of the ministry. But it's one of the most important things you can pray about as well. God wants you a peculiar, special, extraordinary, beyond the average, beyond the normal, beyond the regular. That's who you are. And he wants you to be part of that house, that's unified, and that's bound together in peace. We know what's coming in the years ahead, brethren. We won't turn to the scriptures, but you can jot down Revelation 6, and we read about the ride of the four horsemen, where one-fourth of the earth will be <clears throat> put under their, their sway, and that's just you know, the beginning of things. You can, let's turn, we will turn quickly. Let's turn back to Ezekiel chapter 7. We know that perilous times are ahead for the world and for God's church. A strong house will survive that storm. A strong house will be considered worthy to be taken to a place of refuge before the ultimate uh, storm hits, before the tribulation actually uh, comes upon the house of Jacob. Somebody was mentioning that um, we need to give another sermon about the place of safety. Google it on uh, go to lcg.org and type in the words. You can review that. Ezekiel 7, verse 2. Uh, speaking of the time of the end and the beast, I won't spend a lot of time here, but... An end, the end has come upon the four corners of the land. Now the end has come upon you, and I will send my anger against you. This is a prophecy about the end of the age, the tribulation, and the day of God's wrath. I will judge you according to your ways. I will repay you for all your abominations. My eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity, but I will repay your vows. All your abominations shall be in your midst, and you will know that I am the Lord, and I'm skimming. Verse five and six: A disaster, a singular disaster. Behold, it has come. An end has come. The end has come. It is dawn for you. Behold, it has come. Doom has come to you, and you, you who dwell in the land. The time has come. A day of trouble is near, and not the rejoicing of mountains. Now, upon you, I will will soon pour out my fury, brethren. A storm is coming. We need to be a strong house. A strong house will stand up when the beginnings of these these winds start to hit. A house that's separated or arguing or divisive in doctrine will not be the house that stands, will not be the house that is protected in a place of protection. You can read the rest of uh, <clears throat> this later. It's very fearful. God says, my eye will not spear. Spare, nor will I have pity. I will repay you according to your ways and your abominations. Lawlessness, lies, false doctrine, turning away from God's Sabbath and holy days, abortion, the whole LGBTQ thing, reviling against authority, reviling against each other, what the direction the world is going. That's not our house. That's not this room. That's not the living church of God around the world. No, we're a house that's unified in the spirit and in the bond of peace. Dr. Meredith wrote about servant leadership very often. And you can go to the Tomorrow's World website. There's an article by him, What is Servant Leadership? And I just thought this quote would be a good quote to put toward the end of the sermon today. He said, John, the beloved apostle, tells us, quote, and this is 1 John 3:16, And brethren, this applies to you and me personally every day of our lives. By this, we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Dr. Meredith continues, let us truly be motivated by a spirit of giving Helping, serving, encouraging one another, then without doubt, we will be granted entrance into the into our Father's everlasting kingdom, which will be totally based on that spirit of love, kindness, patience, service, and profound joy. That's the house that I want to inherit. God wants to see us building a type of that house now so that he can trust us and put us in that house when Christ returns and we inherit immortal life, eternal life in the God family. There are other vital works of the ministry. Not all of us are called to be ordained as ministers. All of us can love one another. All of us can endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. All of us need to remember these four points. Number one, you are special to God. Number one, you are special to God. Please don't forget that. Number two, the ministry are here to nurture, protect, love, and unify. To nurture, protect, love, and unify. That is what we do more than only that, but that is what we do. But you can do that as well. You should do that as well. Number three, we must remember the importance of sound doctrine. And we just read about it in Ezekiel, right? Sound doctrine is pretty important. And number four, let's always look to the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. Now, we have, he's got human uh, government uh, in the church, and that's good. But we all try to, all try to emulate him, all of us. Me, you, all of us. We try to emulate him. So let us continue together, brethren, in love, together to press ahead toward God's kingdom, looking forward to Jesus Christ's return. That's the hope we have in the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace.